You know, sometimes I miss the year 2020. <laughs> yeah, you, you heard me correctly. Uh, I miss the year 2020 sometimes. And uh, you know, before you cast stones at me, let me explain. The year 2020 was a, a terrible year for many. Many people got sick. Many people died. I obviously don't miss that. I also don't miss the debates about masks and vaccines and social distancing and lockdowns. I don't miss that at all. You don't either. But do you remember what happened there for a while in 2020 and parts of 2021? It seems like so long ago now. We were home. We were confined to our homes. There was nowhere for us to go. We, we were forced to spend time with those that we love. <laughs> and we were forced to, to take a rest from the busyness and the routine of life. And sometimes I miss that because we all just went back to our busyness, even busier than before so quickly. And sometimes God will go to great lengths to get our attention. And I think maybe that's what COVID in 2020 was all about. Now, some, some might say, no, we couldn't do anything, so God wasn't doing anything either. Like, we couldn't go anywhere, so God was just doing nothing. Like, he took a vacation from the world for a while. And when things get hard, when, when things like sickness come and, and death and job loss, it can seem like God just isn't doing anything. Do you ever feel like that in your life, that God is just doing nothing? I'm, I'm pouring my heart out to you, God, and my circumstances aren't changing. All day, every day, God is just sitting around doing nothing. And so is there ever a time where God is just sitting, doing nothing. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Daniel chapter six. Daniel chapter six, if you're gonna use the Pew Bible, this is page number 696, and I would strongly encourage you to follow along. These are the most important words that you'll hear said today. This is the word of the Lord, and I'm gonna read beginning in verse 19. Daniel chapter six, verse 19. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they've not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. This is the word of the Lord. And God, we ask that you would speak your truth into us today. We need you. I need you. Would you show us Jesus today, our one hope? We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Now, you likely know this story. It's one of the most well-known stories in all the Bible, and that can actually be a problem for us in understanding this story, that we know it so well. I'll come back to that later 
But here's the big idea today, and, and you'll hear this said over and over again. May God speak this into our hearts and into our minds today. There is never a time that God is doing nothing. In all things, God is working. In all things, God is working. Say that aloud with me. In all things, God is working. Now, many of us saw images of, of this story in Sunday school or in a children's Bible growing up, and it showed a, a young, good-looking guy, Daniel, and he's just hanging out with the lions. You know, Simba's there and Mufasa and uh, Scar maybe on a, on a good day. Uh, Can you feel the love tonight? But in reality, Daniel is now almost 90 years old. He's not a young guy anymore. And he's lived for 70 years, almost his entire life as an exile in a foreign land. Babylon is gone. There's now a new world empire, the Persians with a new king, King Darius. <laughs> and Mark joked about this. The reason I'm Pronouncing his name Darius is because that's the way most Bible scholars pronounce it. And just for once in my life, I want to sound like a scholar. <laughs> and so there's a new king with a new kingdom. But look, Daniel's still there. He's still faithfully serving his God, still faithfully serving the pagan empire that he was placed in. And here's what we see, kingdoms rise and fall, but Daniel, the symbol of God's kingdom, remains. And so we see first here how God is working in all things in Daniel chapter 6. We see that in all of history, God is working. In all of history, God is working. So right after the Persians conquer Babylon, verse 1 of chapter 6 says that Darius set over the kingdom 120 satraps, these are protectors of the kingdom, over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one. And the satraps were to give an account to these three high officials so that the king might suffer no loss. And then verse 3 says that this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And so here we see Daniel, a man of God, favored by God, faithful to God. He's still standing, still prospering. And through it all, God is working throughout all history. God is orchestrating every moment. And this gets to the heart of one of the great attributes of God, God's sovereignty. Somebody say sovereignty. Yeah. God's sovereignty is his overarching orchestration of all that happens in time and eternity. His sovereignty teaches us that God knows all things, controls all things, directs all things according to his own will and plan. His sovereignty reminds us that he holds the world, including us, in the palm of his hands. And so we see here that in all of history, God is working, he's orchestrating every moment. Daniel even rises up to, to being placed as number two in the whole government. Why? Because of his God, this excellent spirit that's in him. It can't be his own excellence. It's the excellence of the Lord working through him. And you know, in our day, perhaps more than ever, we need to be reminded that God is sovereign and that he's still in control. 
You know, some of us, as we look at our world and the things that happen in, in our own country, we can get so anxious. Just look at your social media feed. So many people so worried. So many Christians rattled. But God is not worried. I love how Warren Samuels reminded us last week that God is not freaking out in heaven. There's not some kind of strategy meeting taking place there. No, this is his world. He's directing every moment. Ephesians 1 says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so Daniel's not anxious in this pagan world he lives in. He's trusting in God. He was right when he said in chapter 2 that God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. And we don't always like that. How could God appoint bad rulers, rulers that don't love him? Why would God appoint rulers such as Nebuchadnezzar and Pontius Pilate and Adolf Hitler and Mussolini and Saddam Hussein? Some of you might put some of the presidents we've had in our country in that category. But why would God appoint these leaders that don't know him? Because God is God. And he does all that he pleases. And the truth remains, hear this, that leaders come and go, but God's kingdom endures forever. And this means that we can trust him. God's sovereignty should give us rest and peace, not anxiety, because he's in control of it all. And so in all of history, God is working. But we also see here in Daniel 6 that in times of opposition, God is working. In times of opposition, God is working. So verse 4 says, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Now, we saw opposition to God's people in chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here it comes against Daniel. And there's always going to be opposition against God's people. You know, Charles Schultz, his very first Peanuts cartoon, uh, as many, many years ago, it shows this picture of this uh, little boy and a girl. They're sitting on the sidewalk, and, and the boy sees Charlie come, and he says, well, here comes old Charlie Brown. And then as Charlie passes in front, he says, good old Charlie Brown, yes, sir. But then once Charlie gets by and he looks after Charlie, he says, good old Charlie Brown, how I hate him. <laughs> and this is the way it is so often with, with God's servants in this world. The world is naturally opposed to the things of God. Why? Why do they hate Daniel so much? Because they're, they're jealous of him and his high moral character, just like with Charlie Brown. So they do everything they can to find a flaw in Daniel. They do everything they can to cancel him, to disqualify him from this supreme office that he's about to take, but it doesn't work because Daniel was a man of integrity. He was consistent. He took his role as a follower of God and in the government seriously, performed his job well, remained faithful in all things. And remember, Daniel's not working in a Christian government. Daniel was able to stay faithful to the Lord and work hard in a pagan 
environment. Because Daniel knew what God had had said through the prophet Jeremiah some 70 years earlier. If you look at Jeremiah chapter 29, right as the, the Jews are getting brought into exile, taken to Babylon. Jeremiah says to them, when you get there to this exile, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And that's what Daniel was doing, working and prospering for the Lord where God had sent him. And because of Daniel's track record of faithfulness and consistency, these other jealous leaders, they just knew that Daniel would rather die then disobey his God. And that should be both challenging and convicting for us. Would our friends, our acquaintances, never mind our enemies, would they say that about us with equal confidence? Is our commitment to God so obvious to everyone we meet? And if it is, there's always gonna be some opposition and that should make sense to us. If the world is lost, why would they not oppose the things of God? It would be unnatural for them not to. They're just being the world. The gospel is folly to those who are perishing. Paul told Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so why are we so surprised when we face opposition in this life? Why are we so surprised when we see so much decay in our culture, even in our own country? Why are we surprised when people want to take the lives of unborn babies, redefine marriage, reassign gender? Why are we so surprised? This is what a world opposed to the things of God naturally does. It's what we once did before we were rescued by his grace. But in all things, in in the opposition, God is working. And we can lament that, that our country is the way that it is, that the world is the way that it is, and we should. We can wish these things weren't so. I've been rereading lately uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's great work, uh, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and there's this scene towards the beginning of the book, actually, where Frodo, the little hobbit, is talking with Gandalf, the wise wizard, and, and Gandalf tells him about the rise of Sauron the Great, the Dark Lord, and um, Frodo is lamenting all the evil that's about to come, and this is what he says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And so do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. We don't get to choose the time that we live in or the the opposition that comes our way, but we can choose to believe that in it God is working and to work with him. And God is working all over the world in believers to be salt in a world that's lost its saltiness. 
I think about here in our own church, about our students who uh, just over the past couple weeks coming back from extreme camp, just seeing God work in their lives. So many of them at a young age feeling called to the ministry. So many others knowing whatever field they go into that they're gonna be committed and remain faithful to their God. I think about an organization like the Alliance for Defending Freedom. Our church is a partner with them, and Lance Bosla helps to run that ministry here in our church. And ADF is standing up for religious liberties in our country, fighting for the rights of the unborn, protecting biblical marriage. And God is using them greatly as they do that always with love and grace. I think about the global church. The church is growing all over the world. People are coming to Jesus in rapid numbers, especially in places like Asia and Africa and other third world countries. God is working and God's people are working. And we must remember this, that when opposition comes our way, because it will, hear this, we are not at war with our opponents. We are not at war with the lost world. We are at war for them. We want them to know Jesus. And the world will be offended by us at times. They will oppose us. If the world never opposes you and what you believe, then you're probably not standing for the truth of Jesus and his word. But at the same time, if the world is never attracted to you, you're probably not living out the grace and love of Jesus. The problem for most of us is that no one is against us for our faith and no one is attracted either. So what are people thinking when they look at your life? Are they talking about your God? They were when they looked at Daniel. So these other leaders, they devise a a plan to trap Daniel and their plan was that all prayers for the next 30 days had to be directed through the king, King Darius. Couldn't pray to anybody else, just through the king. The king goes along with it. He signs the document in verse nine. And what does Daniel do? Did he quit? Did he give up? Did he say, oh, this is too hard? No, he was faithful. And so we see in verse, uh, we see thirdly, that in our obedience, God is working. In our obedience, God is working. Verse 10, if you look there with me, when Daniel knew that this document had been signed, that all prayer had to go to the king alone, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, there are many ways Daniel could have responded to this new law that was made. He could have rushed to protest before the king. He could have just given in, said, it's only 30 days. I'm just not going to pray for 30 days, and then I can pray after that. He could have assembled a bunch of people and kind of got an army together and gone against the king. But when Daniel heard about the new law, which was in direct contradiction to God's law, that you shall have no other gods before me, that's what is at issue here. Daniel doesn't change anything. He does exactly what he had always done. He goes home and he prays three times a day with his face towards Jerusalem, the the place of, of, of the promise of God's presence, and he gave thanks to God. He doesn't take any precautions. His windows are still open. He would rather defy the king and face whatever consequences might come his way than defy his God. And brothers and sisters, there may come a time 
when we're called to do the same thing in our country, to defy the law of the land when it's in direct contradiction to God's law. There may come a day when we're told in our country that we cannot pray or that we must pray to someone else. Will God find us faithful? Daniel prays as he had done previously. This was the pattern of his life to talk to his God. It was not, oh man, things are bad. I better start praying. It was, oh man, things are bad. I'm gonna continue praying. And he gets down on his knees. He prays three times per day. Now, don't make that a ritualistic or legalistic thing. There are many times for prayer throughout the Bible. We're told that Samuel actually prayed seven times per day. It's not the times that matters. It's that we're regularly and consistently meeting with God. You know, athletes do things uh, out on the court, for example, and they just make it look so easy. And then we get out there and it just doesn't look so easy. I think about uh, my girls, uh, Maddie and Addison, and, and also Cayman when he was younger, our son, and they get out there on the, on the gym floor and it just comes so natural to them, they just look amazing. I get out there and I look like an idiot. But their natural talent alone is, is not the reason uh, for them making it look so easy. They've spent hundreds of hours, thousands of hours in the gym practicing. Our daughter Maddie this summer is getting up at 4.30 a.m. four days a week and spending three hours just practicing her shooting and her dribbling and other skills. No thank you. I'm not getting up that early. My sleep is, is way too important to me. But if we're gonna face difficult things when they come our way, it takes discipline. And Daniel was disciplined in prayer. I love the honesty of the great Baptist pastor in the 1800s in London, Charles Spurgeon. He said, I don't think I've ever prayed for five minutes. And I've never gone five minutes without praying. What does he mean? Prayer is just this constant conversation with God. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. Father, thank you for waking me up today. Thank you that he heard me this time. Thank you that that's the exact medicine that I needed to, to get better. Thank you that that car went by and missed our bumper. Prayer is dependence upon God. And prayerful people know that they need God for everything. And so that's what we see with Daniel. In our obedience, God is working. Well, these leaders, they catch Daniel praying, and uh, they got to go tattletale and tell the king. And uh, he tries to figure out a way, Darius does, to get Daniel out of this mess, but the law cannot be reversed without him looking foolish. So verse 16 says that Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions, and Darius says, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. A stone is placed over the den, it's sealed and game over. The king goes to his palace and all night he's just a nervous wreck. Interesting, we would think that'd be Daniel, right? That he'd be, a, that he'd be so anxious, but it's the king. He can't sleep, he doesn't want to eat, doesn't want anything to distract him. And then verse 19 tells us that the king runs to the den of lions as soon as morning comes. He calls out for Daniel, and Daniel replies, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel 
and shut the lion's mouths, and they've not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And we see here that in the trials of life, God is working. In the trials of life, God is working. It's interesting that the only words that Daniel speaks in this entire chapter are verse 21 and 22. And his words are brief. He just tells about God's deliverance and his own innocence. That's all anybody needs to know. God delivered me and I was innocent of the charges that they placed against me. In the greatest trial of his life, God was working. And there's a question that I think each of us need to ask ourselves as it relates to the trials that we all face in this life. Why did God not deliver Daniel before the lion's den? He could have. He could have prevented Daniel from ever being thrown in there with the lions. But hear this, God's purpose was not to save Daniel from the trials, but to save Daniel through the trials. And God's purpose for us is is not to save us always from the trials, but to save us through the trials. There are certain things that we go through in this life that somehow, the difficult things, that God can only teach us as we go through them. This is Randy Sotka with his wife Jennifer and daughter Sadie And uh, this picture was taken in December of 2019. At that time, Randy um, and his family were living a pretty normal life. He had some health concerns, but he was running his own business, and he and Jennifer just raising Sadie. But four months later, on March 26th of 2020, Randy had an ATV accident, and his daughter Sadie was with him. She was thrown off the vehicle and she was miraculously unharmed, not a scratch on her. But the ATV pinned Randy underneath and his life would change forever. His neck was broken. He suffered a severe spinal cord injury and Randy is now a quadriplegic. He lost all motion and feeling in his legs and much of the motion in his arms and hands. So this next picture is Randy today. Randy and Jennifer told me that when this accident happened, they had a choice. Blame God or trust God. Jennifer said, God took us to the bottom where we had nothing left but to look up to him. And their daughter, Sadie, perhaps said it best. She said, I don't like that my dad is paralyzed, but I love that we're so much closer to God and each other now, and I wouldn't change that for anything. Sadie sang one of our solos this past McKinney Christmas, and uh, at the age of 10, Sadie's already feeling the Lord leading her into the ministry. And today, Randy and Jennifer and Sadie serve with a ministry called Able Faith, which is a Christian ministry to those with physical and neurological disabilities. Randy knows that God is not done with him yet. And Randy is right back here where he always is on Sunday mornings. And Randy, we're so thankful for your life and for your faith in Jesus. (laughs) 
And Randy, Randy is a worshiper. I told him uh, recently how much it means to, to us, those of us on this stage, to watch Randy as we're singing and to see him raise his arms up to Jesus. He can't raise his arms up very high, can't open his fists, but he loves his God and he knows that God is working even in the trials of life. One of his favorite verses is James chapter one, verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Listen, this is so hard for us, but God is not committed to our comfort. God is not committed to giving us a smooth walk through life. God is committed to making us like Jesus. And very often that commitment to us means that he will take us through pressures that would certainly destroy us were his grace not sufficient for us. The Lord will take you into the eye of the storm to show you that he's the master of the storm. And so you and I, we will not always be delivered from the lions. And even if we are, it is certain that other trials will come our way. You know that Daniel, here in Daniel chapter six, the book of Daniel, that he's not still alive today. He later died. He's not walking around somewhere on this earth. Many extra biblical sources believe that Daniel was years later murdered by another ruler. Trials will come our way. But those who believe in the one true God, those who've tasted and seen the goodness of God, those who believe that God loves his people more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine, they don't turn their backs on God when the trials come. When they're asked like Daniel was by King Darius, Daniel, has your God delivered you? They reply with a cheerful shout, loud as the voice of thunder. Yes, he has. And in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because even in the trials of life, God is working. And so the king rejoices that Daniel has been saved and he commands that Daniel's accusers, this is verse 24, along with their families, wives and children, that they be thrown into the den of lions. And this was a sad custom in the ancient Near East at this time. And this proves that these lions were not tame because apparently some people think that this really was Mufasa and Simba just hanging out down there and, and they didn't want to hurt Daniel. But as soon as, as, soon as these lions, uh, as soon as these people are cast into the den of lions, they're immediately devoured. It says before they even hit the bottom that they are overtaken. So these were not tame lions. This truly was a miracle that God performed. And so the king makes a decree to all the peoples of his empire. Verse 26, that they are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. Then he says he delivers and rescues. So for Daniel, it wasn't through the sword. It wasn't through militants. It was through faith and obedience that the whole empire heard the good news of his God and his rescuing power. And no doubt that many of them believed in his God as a result. 
And then look at verse 28, the last verse here in chapter 6, a very important verse in understanding biblical history. It says this, so then Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, many people believe, many commentators believe that, that Darius and Cyrus are the same person. So this could actually be read, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, that is the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And the reason for this is that not much is known about a king named Darius uh, outside of the Bible during this time, but much is known about Cyrus. So who is this Cyrus? Well, the very next book in biblical history is the book of Ezra. Our Bibles are not arranged chronologically. They're arranged by their literary genre. But the very next book in history was the book of Ezra. And if you turn there or if you just want to listen, this is chapter 1, verse 2 of the book of Ezra. It says this, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, same guy. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. And so King Cyrus is the one who lets the Israelites go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple after 70 years of exile. It's that temple that Jesus himself would walk into some 500 years later. And so we see here that all the way to the end, God is working. All the way to the end, God is working. Daniel's entire life was spent in exile, in the metaphorical lion's den. Yet God preserved him alive and unharmed throughout those 70 years. He prospered under various kings until the time of Cyrus when his prayers for Jerusalem finally began to be answered. And so through God's faithfulness, it was possible to survive as an exile in a foreign land, as a stranger and an alien, all the while looking for another city that was to come. And the same is true for us brothers and sisters. We love this country where we live. We should. We love America. There's, there's no greater country in the world than America. Somebody said amen. But this, this is not our final home. Our true citizenship lies elsewhere. And until we leave this world, we believe that in all things, in all things, God is working even when we can't see, see it or feel it. So is that it? Some of you looking at your watch, you're saying, I hope so. <laughs> is that it? God is always working. Just trust that, believe that. In effect, be more like Daniel. Daniel was faithful. Daniel obeyed. Daniel wasn't worried. Daniel endured to the end. Be more like Daniel. Let's close in prayer. No, no. As I said earlier, one of the problems with this story and our understanding of it is that it's famous. We know it so well. And this can sound a little outrageous to say, so let me quote Tim Keller, who's a lot smarter than I am, Bible scholar, pastor, who recently passed away. He said, there are a lot of people in churches who are either weak Christians or not Christians at all because of the way they heard the story of Daniel. What does he mean? Well, so many people in church over the years have, have heard it taught like this. Well, look at this guy. 
Isn't this awesome? God shut the mouths of these lions. Therefore, the moral of the story is if you're good and you trust God and you obey him, then God will always take care of you too. So be courageous because God will, will be with you. He'll take care of you. Trust God and obey him and nothing bad will happen to you. Dare to be a Daniel. And if that's the moral of the story, no wonder so many people who grew up in church are not Christians today because that just doesn't work. Even the most godly amongst us have bad things happen to them all the time. Jesus was more innocent than Daniel. Jesus trusted God a whole lot more than Daniel did. And Jesus was also falsely accused and condemned to die. Jesus was also thrown into a den. He also had a stone laid over him and yet he was filled with all kinds of wounds. There were all kinds of scratches on him. If the moral of the story is be good like Daniel and nothing bad will ever happen to you, then that would contradict the life of Jesus. But it would also contradict the message of Jesus because the message of Jesus is it's not the good people who need me. Jesus said, I've come not for the righteous, I've come for sinners. The story and, and so many other stories like it in our Bibles is meant to point us to the ultimate salvation that comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. Daniel's not the hero of the book of Daniel. And if he was here today, he would tell us that. Jesus, his God, is the hero. Look at verse 22, how he points to his God. He says, uh, the king says to him, Daniel, are you still alive down there? Daniel says, oh, king, live forever. He's so polite. And he says, my God sent his angel. He sent his angel. Who is this angel? Well, Nebuchadnezzar saw him and he said, he looks like a son of God. And I think it literally is Jesus. And if, even if you don't believe it literally is, he certainly points to Jesus he points to the one who was the greater Daniel, who went into the real lion's den, who went before the real lion, the wrath of God, who got the punishment that we all deserve, torn by the justice of God against our sin. And because Jesus was the ultimate Daniel, who went into the real lion's den, we can now go into the smaller lion's dens of our lives with confidence and hope. The gospel says that Jesus took your punishment at the cross so that you really could be declared completely innocent in God's sight. Your salvation today rests not in your ability to dare to be a Daniel, but solely in Christ's perfect obedience in your place. So do you believe? You can believe in Jesus today. You can call upon his name and receive his grace through faith. Daniel knew that we live in a world full of opposition and trials, but he knew that through it, God is working. And you know, oftentimes, especially through the trials, I said this earlier, God will go to great lengths to get our attention. And I think that's what's happening in the book of Daniel. I, I think that's maybe what 2020 and COVID and that whole time that we went through was all about. And you know, during that time, many of you worked from home. 
And as a result, millions around the world, and many of you still work from home. And that can be a great thing. It can also be a really challenging thing because some of us have kids. Some of you have a bunch of kids. Some of you got a bunch of boys. And that can make it really difficult to work from home. I would imagine during that season as maybe mom or dad was working that maybe mom uh, one, one day while dad's in the office trying to work just says something like this to the kids. Children, hush, your father is working. Hmm. And you know, the older I get, the more I realize that I need to hear those words every day of my life in a slightly different tone. Children, I see your tears. I know you're hurting. I know the world is against you. I know that the culture is decaying around you. But hush now. Your father is working. Shh. Quiet. Your father is working. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that this is what your word teaches us, that you're always working from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation. You are the God who works. There's never a time you take a season off, even a moment off. And Lord, our prayer today is that that you would help us to trust you, that you'd help us to believe that you're good and that you're faithful, even when it's hard for us to see. And as we saw earlier, there's so many of us in, in this room that, that are just struggling and maybe we find ourselves in our own lion's den, might be in, in our marriage or with one of our kids or at our job, maybe we just feel like everybody's against us there or just unhappy there. Maybe it's in our finances. But God, would you remind us today, would you give us this, just this peace that we can be still and know that you are God and that our Father is working because you love us. So speak to us as we worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.